When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Harry's memoir has a title and a release date. Megan speaks out in an interview with Variety. We are in anticipation of The Crown Season 5's premiere in just one week's time. Kate has a new patronage and Camilla's plane encounters trouble on its way home from India. Plus, we've got a great chat with a royal expert where we break down what to expect from Charles' coronation in six months' time. All of this and more on episode 74 of Podcast Royal. Welcome back to Podcast Royal. Rachel, how are you this week? I'm good. I'm good. I'm actively avoiding the flu that is infiltrating my office and just desperately trying to stay healthy over here. How are you? <laughs> Um, yeah, I, you know, I'm doing good too. We were just talking, I, um, I'm trying to stay healthy as well. I'm actually drinking a cup of tea right now as we speak. Um, so it's, you know, we're kind of getting into that season where it's getting dark earlier outside. We're about to have the time change and, um, it's definitely cooling down. So I think everyone's allergies are kicking in and sinuses are draining. I know. And the flu is running rampant. So I'm just trying to stay healthy and above board over here. So let's do, before we jump into the Royal Rundown, let's do a quick, uh, what are you into? I, I feel like we haven't done that in quite a while. Mm. Um, and since you always let me go first, I'm going to let you go first this time. So what are you into this week? Ooh, I, and I am unprepared and going first. Um, what am I into this week? So I guess what I'm into is, so I have the extreme privilege and honor of getting some screeners a little early for the crown. And I am super pumped about that. I didn't know if I was going to get them and I am thanks to my work with Marie Claire. And so um, I'm kind of interested in like diving into that. And I don't, I don't have them yet. I need to, I've been like refreshing my email a hundred times today, waiting for them. They should be coming imminently, but I cannot wait for season five of the crown. And I can't believe that I'm going to get to get a jump on it. Of course, I can't give any spoil. I haven't watched it yet. So I have no spoilers to give, but I'm very excited as I'm sure many of our listeners are to dive in headfirst to season five of the crown. I, I'm excited that you get to do that. And um, I'll be watching alongside all of our listeners when it comes out on Netflix. So um, I, I can't wait to hear your, uh, your input and we'll, we'll have to do a little chat about that on the podcast. We'll definitely do a chat about it and I'm going to have to watch it twice because once is for work. And so I'm going to have to be pausing it every, you know, little bit, taking notes, not really fully immersed in it. And then I want to watch it again for mm -hmm. fun. And right. so I'm, I'm really excited to, I mean, this season is just going to be bombshell, but we'll talk about that a little bit more later on in the show, but what are you into this week? You know, for me, I am just trying to soak up this fall season leading up to Thanksgiving. I started a little, um, I don't know, like a gratitude practice, I guess, for this month. Um, I don't know if you saw my Instagram earlier, but um, I posted about it on there. And, um, you know, I was just thinking about how we kind of live in this world where we're always wanting, you know, the next best thing, or we're always searching for what's, you know, 
what we can get, you know, in addition to what we already have. And so my goal this month is to post little things about my house where um, I live and I've got a lot of projects going on here. Um, you know, things that I'm grateful for. Uh, so instead of falling into that trap of, you know, wanting the next best thing, you know, what do I have around my house that um, I can appreciate and enjoy every day? So I plan to post something, a photo or something um, and, and talk about and talk about those things. And I kicked that off today. So, nice. um, so I'll be doing the next few weeks. I love that. Gratitude practice is so important year, year round, but especially this time of year here in the U S as we celebrate Thanksgiving. And I want to just say one really quick thing that I am thankful for and that, and we'll discuss this more in episode 75, our next episode, because it will be right around that time. But on November 14th, that's our two year anniversary of the show. And that that's, that's, I'm really proud of that. I'm really proud of the things we've been able to do on this show in the past two years, November 14th, 2020, we huddled up in your walk-in closet on a card table and (laughs) it actually, we did. So we did episode one, which is pretty long. It's over an hour. We did episode one in one take. We were a one take wonder, but before that it, the trailer, which is like 30 seconds. Do you remember this? It took us literally 10, 15 times, maybe more. I can't, I can't really remember to record the trailer. So we were, I think we were sitting there looking at each other going, if, if it's going to take us 15 or 20 tries to record a 30 second trailer, we're in big trouble. But then we did the first episode in one take and we usually do all of our episodes in, in one take. So I think once we said we're going to be an imperfect podcast, so here we are, we kind of let the pressure off ourselves, but two years is not an insignificant amount of time. And I'm proud of what we've been able to do in that time. No, I totally agree. Um, and, and for our listeners out there who just started listening, please do not go back to the first. Oh, yeah, please don't. Please start from the today, but, but we've come a long way since then. And, and you know, podcasts <laughs> the weird thing, you know, even if we take a few weeks off, you kind of get out of it and you feel a little bit rusty coming back in, which, um, you know, I, I kind of feel like that since we've been on this every other week cadence too, but I'm definitely, definitely grateful for the two years that we've got in the books on this podcast. Mm-hmm. We've continued to grow our audience and, um, Oh, and I feel like I need to go back in, in reference uh, to my, my photo taking and my, my gratitude little exercise. So for listeners who don't know, I, I have my own personal Instagram account where I've had some projects going on at my house, just like DIY stuff that I've been doing. Um, so that's why I was sharing that on that um, Instagram in case you were wondering why the heck I was <laughs> talking about my house on Instagram. <laughs> Got it. Well, yeah, this is that on the podcast Royal Instagram, which you also run and do a great job of, of doing, but yes, much to be thankful for as ever. And so we've got some things to talk about here in the Royal Rundown, most specifically the biggest news of the past two weeks, and that's Harry's memoir. Yes. So let's kick off this episode with, with that in our Royal Rundown. This is the big topic everyone's been waiting for. So last week, Prince Harry's book title was announced along with the release date. I know most likely our listeners have already heard this news, but on the very off chance that you missed it, his book is titled Spare. So the cover is a close-up photo of his face in what looks like the warm California sunlight. You know, he's got one of those expressions where you can't really tell what he's thinking. It's not really a smile because his mouth is closed, but it's also not overly serious. I mean, I don't think he looks upset in the picture. 
Um, but the photo was apparently shot by the same photographer who took Megan's photo for the Variety interview, which I know we'll talk about shortly. So the book will be available to purchase on January 10th, 2023. Originally, you may recall, uh, it was supposed to be released this fall. It's been pushed back. And, you know, there's been a little speculation as to why some think, you know, Harry may have had to go back after the Queen's death and make some edits. Um, I did hear, though, that it's 416 pages long. So it's not a quick read. Um, there's definitely plenty of space there for him to share personal stories that, you know, I think his audience will probably be interested to read. Um, so the book is supposed to be priced at $36 in the U.S., but you can also purchase the audiobook, which apparently is read by him and his voice. So definitely cool for, you know, the Prince Harry fans if you want to hear directly from him. There are a couple things that I do want to touch on, Rachel. Um, first, I want to know what your thoughts are on the title of the book and what you thought about the cover. You know, I have been thinking for a long time, months, actually, what is Harry going to call this thing? What could he possibly call this thing? And spare never crossed my mind. Although when I saw it, when I read that that was the title, it was just, oh, well, yeah, of course. I mean, that it's a very powerful title. It's it, very succinct, obviously, but of course, listeners, I, I'm sure you understand the context and the reference to this, but spare, of course, is a nod to the heir and the spare, which is the heir is William, his older brother, and, the, and Harry is the spare. And, you know, that's, I, I find this, the title very powerful. I find the moniker spare very damaging. I mean, can you imagine you're the oldest and I'm an only child, so neither of us are the younger of two siblings. But can you imagine just being referred to as the spare your whole life? That's, that's really damaging. And yeah. I wrote an article this past weekend about how Diana really tried to shield Harry from, from that label. But um, I think it is definitely a, a clue as to what's to come in the book about how he has felt as, as a member of the Royal family, specifically one that was never going to be king and how how the institution of the royal family is not really set up to make the spare if you will feel good about themselves and with you know I I remember when we spoke with Andrew Morton and he wrote a book about Elizabeth and Margaret well when those two were born that Elizabeth did not know that she would be queen until she was 10 years old and so for the first 10 years of her life, there was no real heir and spare dynamic between she and Margaret because they, they didn't know that they would, their father would be king. And then by the time that there was an heir and spare dynamic, there, there were difficulties there, but it, it wasn't from birth. Then with the queen's four children, there were three spares essentially, right? And so there was a little bit more sharing of the spare load, but with William and Harry, of course, both knew from birth that they were the so-called heir in the spare. And there's only one other sibling other than William. So the dichotomy is very, very in your face. And like I said, I think it's going to be a very interesting read and it's probably really going to focus on how being the second child in the royal family affects 
someone and in, in their psyche. And as for the photo, the photo, were we talking about this where we were like, this looks like a movie poster of like a yeah. science fiction <laughs> film. <laughs> and he just looks very pensive. I can definitely see the parallels between um, Megan's photo for variety and that photo. It's an interesting photo. It's maybe not my favorite of Harry, but it does the job. And I want to add in a couple more tidbits about the book that I don't think um, we've covered yet. So in this book, you said that Harry's going to read the audiobook. This book was written with a ghostwriter and that ghostwriter is J.R. Moringer. I think I'm saying that correctly. He also wrote the biographies of Andre Agassi, who of course is a tennis pro and Nike co-founder Phil Knight. And he also wrote his own memoir, The Tinder Bar, which was made into a movie with Ben Affleck and George Clooney last year. If any of you have seen that, he's really talented. So I think that the book is in good hands. Um, the book is going to be translated into 16 languages. And I wanna throw this tidbit in there. The domain name for the book's website, which is princeharrymemoir.com, was registered on June 21st, which I find interesting is right about two weeks after Harry, Meghan, and the kids returned to California from the UK after the Platinum Jubilee. I just thought that was interesting. Wow. So yeah, so um, and and I don't know if Spare was already chosen because the website is princeharrymemoir.com. So you know, it doesn't have anything to do with spare, but I think the title is very powerful. Um, I think this book is going to go there. And why I say that is because they Penguin Random House paid a pretty penny for this book. And if you're going to pay someone $20 million for the book, which to his credit, Harry is donating most, if not all of that to charity, but that's a lot of money and you're going to get your money's worth for that. And I have, I have reported on the fact that the edits, so you're right, the book was originally due out in November, but it has been pushed back to early January, which coincidentally, there's, I don't think there's any there there with this, but is the day after Kate's 41st birthday, um, which is on January 9th, but um, the book was, so they had to go back after the queen passed away and change all the tenses, right? Because she is no longer living. And so they had to go back and edit all the tenses about her, putting her in the past now, unfortunately. And um, also I've, I've read there, there is going to be a chapter I've read about the queen's funeral. I don't know if it's a full chapter, but there's going to be something about the queen's funeral. And I've read that they, wanted to tone Harry and Megan, Harry specifically wanted to tone down the maybe saucier or juicier bits about Charles because Charles is now on the throne, which I don't know if anybody expected him to be in November of 2022. But um, I've also read that and I've also written about that uh, Penguin Random House actually rejected the first draft of the memoir because it was too touchy-feely. It was too soft. And they had JR and Harry go back and make it saucier. So we'll see. I mean, I'm trying to, you, you and I had this discussion on Sunday. I'm trying to get my hands on an advanced copy of this book and it's not going well so far. And I'm not sure I'm going to be able to, but I'm going to keep trying. Obviously I would never be able to talk about it until January 10th, the NDA I would be on would be airtight, but um, I, I just, I cannot wait to see how, like how far it goes, how, how much it pushes. It's, this book is all anybody can talk about right now. It's definitely the most anticipated book of 2023 already. 
Yeah, I definitely agree. And, and I like your takeaways. I think those are super interesting. Um, you know, and I, I would bet a lot of people haven't heard um, a lot of what you just shared with us. Um, I definitely agree. You know, we talked about um, the photo, the, the cover of the book, and it is giving Hollywood vibes for sure. Yeah. I did not know that about the registration of the domain. So that's really, really interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, I, you know, I've gone back and forth about the the title and what I think will be in the book. Initially, I was like, oh, you know, I I didn't really think the title was a great choice because while it on one hand is a great choice, right? If you're trying to draw in your audience, on the other hand, I was hoping the book wouldn't be focused on the negative or, or the past. Um, and then the more I thought about it, you know, I thought we, we really don't know what's in the book. I mean, you bring up great points, you know, he was paid a pretty penny for this. So there could be really anything in there, but maybe, you know, maybe the title is meant to draw people in and, and, and it'll ultimately have a positive focus and, um, and we'll leave the reader feeling really good, you know, when they're done with it. So I don't know, we'll have to wait and see. I did want to share that I can tell you really quick before we get into um, what some of our listeners said, and I'm really excited to, I love hearing from our listeners, is um, the book is going to open apparently with, of course, probably the most iconic and also at the same time damaging scene of he and William walking behind Diana's coffin and how, how damaging that was. I mean, both William and Harry have spoken out in the past about how, how incredibly damaging that was. And I think that, um, the book will open with that. And I don't know. I mean, if, if with a title like that and with an opening scene like that, I don't know, we'll see. It might be pretty unflinching, but we'll just have to wait and read. Yeah, we'll see. Um, so yeah, you mentioned our, our Instagram account, our followers. So last week we polled our followers to ask, their opinions on if they plan to buy the book and what they thought about it uh, based on the title that was released in the cover. So last time I checked, which was right before the poll closed, 61% said they do plan to read it. 39% said they do not. So, you know, 60-40 is a little more than half. I would say that seems about right to me. I think people have been, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think a lot of people are going to be interested in this book, but when it comes to our royal followers, I think people are pretty split. Hmm, that's interesting. I, that's that's uh, 61% is a, is a lot lower than I thought it would be. I thought it would be 75-25 or even 80-20. So when we asked our followers to share their thoughts on the book cover, uh, one follower said, I'm curious, but I'm also not into him whining about how hard his life is. Um, Another person mentioned the title immediately drags William into it. And I feel bad for William. Um, And then someone else said, brilliant. Can't wait. I think a lot will be about media and how that impacted his family um, rather than, you know, just focusing on like the family mm. outside of media, which I thought was an interesting. Yeah, that is a great take well. because the family doesn't call him the spare. You know, I seriously doubt anybody inside the royal family refers to them as the heir and the spare. That's a media concoction. So that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. And and thank you to our followers for sharing that. Um, we like getting your opinions. And so uh, we'll do some more polls in the future when we have uh, some other stuff going on. So tell us a little bit about uh, Megan and her variety article. 
Yes. So right after episode 73 dropped, Megan was in variety for her latest interview. Um, Honestly, it was, I, Megan's pretty media savvy because so the cut article comes out, which we still haven't released that bonus episode. So we'll do that at some point, but um, we got pretty real and raw and candid about how we, how we felt about that and not incredibly happy with it necessarily. But Megan actually used this interview to talk about the cut interview and how she was perceived in that interview. She also used this interview with Variety to kind of tee up this Netflix docu-series that she and Harry are doing, which actually surprisingly had, we there'd been tons of chatter about it, but had never actually been confirmed by Netflix or the Sussexes until this Variety interview. But now it is confirmed there will be a docu-series about Harry, Meghan, presumably their kids, their life in California. Um, but she, well, I'll get to that in a second. I'm getting ahead of myself, but we learned in the interview lots. I'm just going to hit the high points here. If you want to read the full interview, I totally encourage you to, it's a good interview. Um, we learned her favorite romantic comedy is when Harry met Sally, which is actually my favorite romantic comedy. Um, do you like when Harry met Sally? I feel like everybody. I do like that movie. It's not my favorite, but I like it. What's your favorite? You've got mail. Of course. Nora Ephron for the win always Nora (laughs) Ephron if you don't listeners if you don't know who she is you should she wrote both of those movies um yes I love you've got mail too but when Harry met Sally is my favorite movie of all time she Megan likes to watch Jeopardy she likes to play Wordle in bed with a glass of wine also same actually um Megan spoke about morning Queen Elizabeth so this this was actually supposed to come out um, before or right around the time that the queen died, but it was pushed along with tonight show appearance that still hasn't happened in a couple of other media appearances when the queen passed away, but she does address the queen's death. She spoke about mourning her and how, um, to Megan, the queen was a shiny example of female leadership. And again, she confirmed that there will be that docu-series from Netflix about she and Harry's life, but she's kind of priming the pump here, which is a classic media training trick. She says that it isn't necessarily the way she and Harry would have told it. So she's smart because she, it's going to come out and we still don't have a confirmed date. I've heard December, but nothing ever seems firm. It just things come out when they come out with Archwell at this point, like there's, there's never, you think it's going to come out then, and then it isn't, it's delayed, whatever. And so, um, obviously they've seen it, obviously they disagree with parts of it and how it was told. So this is actually a smart media tactic to get out in front of it and say, Hey, this is coming out. It's not how we would have told it. So when there is the inevitable blowback and criticism, which I know nothing about what's in it, but, um, Megan's kind of already primed the pump and kind of already set, set the stage. So, um, the interviewer point blank said that some saw her interview in the cut as snarky. Uh, that is, that is very bold of that interviewer to, to go there like that, I think, but, um, that actually, as I said, gave Megan the opportunity to address it here in this space. And, she also said, and I'm again, I'm hitting the high points here, that she would support her kids pursuing a career in entertainment, that if any actress was ever going to play her in the future, they could just give her a call. So there's that. And what she talked about what a typical workday is like for she and Harry as they continue to build Archwell. We've seen, I think, that they share an office, which, look, 
I can love my husband all day long, but I don't want to share an office with him. That's a little bit too much togetherness, but they literally share a desk. Like we've seen this in pictures before. It's that big desk. But anyway, overall, I found Megan much more likable in the variety interview. And that was probably on purpose after the world's reaction to the cut interview. So I would love your thoughts on the variety interview and, and on the photos as well, because as we said, you know, we've seen a through line here with the photographer. I thought some of her outfits were beautiful. So I'd love your thoughts. Yeah, I definitely think that this interview was used to smooth out some of the backlash from the cut interview. Um, you know, I don't think Megan was anticipating the response to the cut interview that it got. And I think she became aware of that. And so I do think that this was, you know, an effort to kind of smooth that over and, and paint her in a little bit different light. Um, the photos, you know, again, like, yeah, there were some, there were some great outfits. Um, I didn't love that cover photo that looked like the one of Harry's cover photo. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I wasn't really a big fan of, of either of those, um, of his or hers, but overall, yeah, I mean, this was a much softer, a much softer interview, um, regarding, um, Netflix. I, really don't know what to expect out of Netflix. You know, I don't know if they are trying to get ahead of that release because they're worried about things that they chose to put in there that may have negative backlash or if it really was in fact not told the way they wanted it to be. I mean, we, we, you know, we don't really know. And, and I have really no idea what in the world this, this show is going to look like or, or be about. I feel like it will be very interesting to see uh, when it airs, but I have been feeling lately between the podcasts, the Netflix stuff, the interviews, you know, I don't know if anyone's helping the Sussexes manage their PR, but I've been feeling like we've been getting a little bit of maybe fatigue from overexposure to, um, to them and everything that they've got going on. I don't know. I just, um, you know, I mean, I read the articles, but I don't, I don't, I don't know. They're just sort of not that I glaze over them, but I just feel like we were getting a lot. And when you start to get a lot, they become a little bit less interesting. They don't pull you in quite as much. So that's kind of where I am on, on the interviews and, and all of the media stuff right now with them. Well, I guess this is what we asked for because we were like, well, where's the Spotify content? Where's the Netflix content? And now here it is. And now, you know, we're like, oh my gosh, it's too much. I, I personally am I'm enjoying it. I mean, I was just listening to archetypes today's we record every Tuesday. I'm sure I've said that a million times. And I was just listening to today's episode of archetypes before we started recording. And, um, I had one other point to make about the docuseries. Oh yeah. So, um, the book and the docuseries, I think both were heavily basically done before September 8th, before the queen's passing. I think that in the book and in the docuseries, they were probably quite candid in particular about Charles, who is now the reigning monarch. And I think there's going to be, I have no confirmation of this. This is just me speculating, but I think that in the, speaking of the docuseries in particular, that there will be some things said that maybe they weren't able to get edited out. And that's kind of Megan's way of 
I hate to keep using this phrase, but like priming the pump, like getting, like preparing um, to coming out front basically to say, you know, hey, this isn't how we would have told it. It's like a defense mechanism for what might or might not be said. But again, we'll just have to wait and see. Plus um, also with Netflix, we have the Heart of Invictus um, docuseries, which is specifically about the Invictus game. So we're gonna have a lot of, for me, this is like the best Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays present ever. Well, I'm like, bring it on, bring it on. I think I'm, for I'm me, excited. You know, you talked about, we've been asking for this for a while, but you have to remember this is like, they've waited two years. And so it's kind of like you kick a, you know, something down the road and now it's, everything's coming out at once. I think it would have maybe, gone a little bit. And of course I'm speaking ahead of it because a lot of it hasn't been released, but seems like maybe it would have been more well-received had it been trickled out over the past Mm. couple of years, um, versus everything all at once. You know, I feel like it's going to be, it's going to be a lot. (laughs) It is. And speaking of a lot and speaking of Netflix one week from today, that the day the episode drops on November 2nd, on November 9th, The Crown drops season five, and we will surely do some type of special around this, so stay tuned for that. It will cover the turbulent 1990s in the family, so much to unpack there, everything from Charles and Camilla's affair to Charles and Diana's divorce, Andrew and Fergie's divorce, Diana's death, so on, and the season has been pretty fraught with controversy, especially again since Harry and Meghan are so involved with Netflix now. And I am not sure this season will do Charles and Camilla any favors in terms of popularity, which is why I think we have seen such a push for Netflix to say the series is more fiction than fact. Although I've always found the show to have more fact than fiction, really. I mean, it's not 100% factual, but it's pretty well based in truth. If you've got Robert Lacey as your historical consultant for that show, we've had him on the show. He's amazing. It's pretty It's pretty true to form. And uh, so I'm just curious, what are you expecting from season five? Well, you know, based on the initial... Um, comments that we're getting from Royal Watchers. I agree. I do think people are really torn on this one. I think it has the potential to be somewhat damaging and I'm a little mixed myself on it. You know, I think the crown started out as a fun escape to, to go and watch. And of course it's something that I, I still will tune into and watch, but I do agree now that we're getting into more modern times, it's a really sticky situation. And while it may have more fact than fiction, I think those facts may have been, you know, over-dramatized or could have been twisted or maybe just, um, I don't know, like we, we weren't there, right? So we only know what we watch in the crown or, or what maybe we read in a book or whatever. Um, and I do feel like there should be some sort of disclaimer ahead of these episodes because while, you know, someone who's a Royal watcher or maybe they live in the UK, they may know the difference between um, fact versus fiction, but your average American who does not follow the Royal family very closely is going to watch this and take it as, as truth because there is so much um, real life um, facts or, or situations that happened, you know, historically in here, but they've just been, you know, taken to the next level or, or, you know, the truth has been twisted a little bit, you know, much for, for the drama of Netflix. So 
you know, I don't know. I, I start I, to get a little bit nervous when we're um, really, really playing with someone's real life that could impact them. And, and, you know, I don't want to do someone harm like that. I will tell you the nineties was the truth was stranger than fiction. Some of the things like the squidgy gate tapes, the Camilla gate tapes. I just finished reading um, Christopher Anderson's new book, the King, we're going to have him on the show in a couple weeks. And, uh, I read like parts of the Camilla gate tapes again. And that is, I, that's just disturbing. I mean, I'm not even going to attempt to quote that. And I mean, just some of the things that were happening in the nineties, like the, the panorama interview, the Jonathan Dimbleby interview. I mean, there was a lot of crazy things that were happening in the Royal family in the nineties. And I vaguely remember this because I was following along, albeit as a child. So I didn't, you know, get, get the full scope of it, but, um, I was definitely invested in the family, even back in the nineties. And so it'll be interesting to see what bits of that wild decade in this family, they, they actually choose to run with, because there's so much material there that really did happen. But yes, of course the show is, it's still Hollywood, right? It's still dramatized. And there was a debate of, of whether to put a disclaimer and honestly sitting here talking to you, I can't remember if they're going, I can't remember whatever happened. Some listeners are like screaming at the I phone. Think if I remember correctly, they, I, did I hear that? Maybe they were thinking about, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't want to say, cause I can't recall for sure, but um, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's interesting that the Sussexes have been working so closely with, with Netflix and now they've got this um, drama with the crown, you know, so uh, I don't know. Well, the timing is just, I mean, with everything, with the crown, with the docu-series, with the book, I mean, obviously nobody knew when production started on all of these projects that the queen would not be on the throne in the late fall, early winter of 2022. And the timing of this is just really poor, like, especially Charles and Camilla, who are about to be crowned side by side, roughly to the day, six months after the show comes out, it's just going to be really bad timing for them. So I, I, I want to say that the disclaimer is going to be there, but we'll, I'll tell you, we'll know next episode because we'll have seen it. So anyway, well, speaking of King Charles, you've got some updates about Yeah. Him. Back to real life royal updates. King Charles has had a very busy start to his reign. He's had a lot of first experiences, including one I was not expecting to happen so fast. Charles recently asked new prime minister Rishi Sunak to form a government. So listeners will remember that just before Queen Elizabeth's death, she welcomed Liz Truss as prime minister. And, you know, I think we all kind of saw that as one last work responsibility the queen wanted to complete before passing the crown to Charles. And I thought that was kind of special that Liz and Charles would, you know, embark on these new journeys together. But unfortunately, after just 45 days in her new role, Truss resigned from her position and Rishi Sunak has taken her place. So a few fun facts. Charles did meet with Sunak and he accepted his request to form a government. And Sunak is actually the first British Asian prime minister. And looking back at Liz Truss, she is now um, the prime minister with the shortest time in her role, but she's also the youngest woman to hold this position. So, um, you know, hopefully we won't see a lot of changes take place like, like they've done, um, you know, here recently between uh, Liz 
stepping down and, and Sunak taking over. So um, maybe we'll be in a good place where things will settle down for a little while. But Charles has had a, a lot of a lot of new things he's had to take on in this role. Yeah, I'm sure he did not expect to be appointing a new prime minister this this quickly. And um, speaking of Charles, we and speaking of first, we saw him visit Sandringham for the first time as king since our last episode, which we know is a place that meant so much to his mother. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, this episode is really becoming a little bit of a Charles highlight. Um, we've got <laughs> we've got several updates on him, but. He recently announced another new title for himself. So in addition as his role as king, he is also now going to serve as captain general for the Royal Marines. So this role is ceremonial in nature, and it was actually previously held by Prince Harry. So Harry took this role on in 2017 from Prince Philip, um, but obviously in 2020, when he stepped back as a senior royal, he gave it up, and it's been unassigned until now. Uh, it's actually not unusual for the monarch to hold this title. So King George VI was also Captain General for the Royal Marines, as well as George V, which to me seems like it was a really big deal and an honor for Harry to have been granted this role, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I mean, Harry had a lot of honorary military appointments and other patronages that were a huge deal. Yeah. So Charles said, you know, he feels greatly honored to take on this title. He plans to meet with the Marines in the near future. And he also wished them a happy 358th birthday, which they celebrated on October 28th. So exciting, exciting new role for Charles. Absolutely. And I know it's generating a lot of buzz because he's taking it over for Harry, but it's like you said, it's been sitting dormant for five years or excuse me for three years, two years. What year are we in? We're, uh, we're, I'm calling it 2023 yeah. almost for two years. So um, yeah, it's, it's been vacant for almost three years. So it's time. Exactly. Well, shifting on from Charles, I do want to talk about Camilla for a second, because I know this story was kind of buzzing last week as well. Uh, the queen consort recently took a private trip to India where she and some friends stayed at a holistic health center for, um, I guess it was some kind of wellness retreat that they did. So this center is run by a doctor. It focuses on healing, prevention, and rejuvenation. They offer yoga and other types of wellness activities. And she's apparently been going for years. Uh, so Charles has gone with her in the past, but this year it looks like she did a girl's trip. She was there for 10 days and I'm hoping she got some rest and relaxation because she has definitely had a busy and stressful past few months in her new role. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Rachel, this makes me think we should do more relaxation and rejuvenation trips. <laughs> uh, yeah. I was just thinking, as you were saying that, where was my invitation? I would love to be on that trip. And I agree. Anytime that you want to go on a rest and or relaxation and rejuvenation trip, give me a call. But then, so here comes Camilla rested on her way home from India. Camilla's plane suffered damage as a result of a bird strike. Actually, there's photos of the plane and it left the plane with noticeable damage to its nose. Um, and Camilla, God lover, actually has a fear of flying, like a, a real fear of flying. So this must have been even more terrifying and even more so to come from being, you know, at a, at a wellness retreat in India where you're so relaxed. And then this happens. So thank God everybody's okay. The plane is a little beat up, but everyone's fine. That's so scary. And just again, thank God everyone is okay. And I'm glad, I'm glad you know, that was 
overall, you know, uneventful, um, and, you know, but way to shake her out of that. Well, yeah, no kidding. Right. Like way to make the whole, however long weeks worth of the rejuvenation trip worth (laughs) absolutely nothing. It's like, welcome back to reality. But, um, again, just thankful everybody's okay. But um, we don't mention every little engagement or work that each royal does. If we did, then each episode would be hours and hours in length. But I do want to point out that Kate has a new patronage of note. I think this is so cool. She is supporting Captain Preet Chandi's solo trek across Antarctica in a bid to become the first woman to cross the continent alone and unaided this winter that I can't think of anything I'd rather not do. I, I would love to go with Camilla to the wellness retreat in India. I don't think I could handle being with Captain Chandi on this Antarctica voyage. So uh, Chandi serves in the British Army, and she will travel over 1,000 miles on her quest. Last winter, she made history as the first woman of color to reach the South Pole alone and without aid. Why do we have to do these things alone? Like, I mean, I guess that's the record she's trying to break, but that's just like Antarctica for 75 days alone. I just, I don't think I could. I don't think I could. Um, Traveling, anyway, last year when she went to the South Pole, she traveled 700 miles over 40 days and she will begin her journey in Antarctica early this month and aims to finish in 75 days. That's unbelievable. 1,000 miles in 75 days. And even if she were just walking, by herself, that would be enough, but get this, she'll be hauling 265 pounds, 265 pounds worth of gear on a sleigh. And she's battling. It's also the winter, by the way, um, which as I say that I'm like hemispheres, but I'm not going to go too deep into that listeners. I hope you're laughing at me. I'm having a laugh attack over here. We had to cut a minute ago because we were laughing. Um, it's just one of those days, but anyway, she's going to be battling against temperatures of negative 68 degrees Fahrenheit and winds up to 60 miles an hour. I mean, no wonder Kate wanted to support this incredible woman. That's amazing. I, I mean, I think, I think that's so cool that, that Kate is supporting her and, and reaching out and wishing her, you know, good luck on this journey. And I totally agree. I will join Camilla on her wellness retreat yeah. any day. This, while I give mad respect to her for doing this journey, and I think it is so cool. I don't get the desire to, to want to do that. And to your point, especially alone, like, oh my yes. goodness, it sounds so so difficult. And, and I mean, I know that's the whole, that's the whole point. That's the point. Challenges, but, um, man, I just can't imagine, you know, I, you, you watch those TV shows where they drop people off in the middle of nowhere, 30 minutes. And I'd be like, all right, I'm ready to go home. (laughs) Oh, 30 minutes. I'd be like two, two minutes. I'm like, Carry hauling 55 pounds on a sleigh. No, no. But I mean, again, I'm power to her. And I like, full support. And this just sounds totally like something Kate would get behind. And speaking of TV shows, wasn't going to throw this in here, but found out today that Mike Tyndall will be appearing on the reality show. I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here, which is very strange. And it, it just, I'm fascinating. So I, again, I, I, I think I'll be more prone to watch this next show that I'm about to talk about. than I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. But our last Royal rundown news item of today is, you know, I've always wanted to visit Althorpe, which is the ancestral home of princess Diana. It's all she's princess Diana is also buried 
on those grounds, but I have not yet done so. But now Countess Karen Spencer, who is the wife of Diana's brother, Earl Charles Spencer, has launched Spencer 1508, which is a behind the scenes look at Althorpe. New episodes of the series are released each Friday. I have not caught up with it yet, but I can't wait to. I've seen previews of it. I've seen some snippets. You can catch the show on YouTube. Just type in Spencer 1508. And I'm so grateful to the Countess for offering us this behind the scenes look. And I think I'm much more prone to tune into this than to Mike Tindall on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. So will you be checking out Spencer 1508? And while we're there, tell me your thoughts on Mike Tindall. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I might check out Mike Tindall and reality TV. That might might be- He's pretty funny. I'll give him that. Um, But yeah, no, this sounds really, really cool and definitely something that I would be interested in tuning into. I love this kind of content. So I'm really glad that you came across that and shared it on the podcast. And listeners, if you catch this, let us know, you know, your thoughts. Absolutely. Well, listeners, we are really excited to introduce you to Sarah Griswood as our guest today, where among other things, we talk about Charles' coronation, the Queen's legacy, and much more. Take a listen. Today on the show, we're delighted to have with us journalist and author Sarah Gristwood, who is the author of Elizabeth, Queen and Crown, which will be re-released to coincide with Her Late Majesty's Platinum Jubilee Year and ultimately her death last month at age 96. Sarah has written for The Times, The Guardian, and The Telegraph. She's also written fiction and historical biographies like the one we'll discuss today. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. So Elizabeth, Queen and Crown was originally released about five years ago. So to mm-hmm. put it mildly, much has happened in the past yes. five years in the royal family. Yes. What was important to you to include in this re-release? Goodness, events just keep on catching up with you, don't they? Yeah. I mean, of course, A lot does seem to have happened in that last five years. One thing, of course, but hugely important for the Queen herself, I mean, you know, before obviously her own final death, was the death of Prince Philip, you know, her lifelong partner for so many decades. But an awful lot had happened for the monarchy as well. It seemed as if when I wrote the book, first or when the book was first released in you know the first version um really the monarchy seemed to be in a very good place it seemed as if the queen had successfully steered it through you know the troubles of the late 20th century and as if it everything had come into calm waters and that would be her lasting achievement. Well, of course, the last five years have done a very great deal, um, both to question, to, to throw into some jeopardy, the position of the monarchy, but perhaps also to highlight the importance of Queen Elizabeth herself. The events since that 
that time, about five years ago, we've seen so much, haven't we? We've seen, obviously, the global pandemic. Uh, we've seen here in Britain the scandal of uh, Prince Andrew's relationship with, with Jeffrey Epstein. We've seen uh, first what seemed like the welcoming, freshening, broadening for the monarchy of Prince Harry's marriage to Meghan Markle, and then how that all, from the monarchy's point of view, went wrong. So really an absolutely huge amount has happened. I want to mention how dazzling the photos were, and I'm curious, do you have a favorite photo from the book you feel captured the essence of Her Late Majesty? Yes, I think I do. And it's one from some time ago. I'm actually flicking through the book as we speak to find it, but it's the Queen on horseback uh, outside Balmoral. Actually, I think there's two favourites. I think there's that one informal one, the Queen, you know, with a sort of a heathery Balmoral in the background, mm -hmm. on horseback, as she loved to be. She always said, didn't she, that if she didn't have, as a girl, you know, if she didn't have to do what she did, she'd want to be uh, a countrywoman with lots of horses and dogs. Yeah. But the other one, perhaps, is, uh, is the very famous one of her coronation. It's the Cecil Beaton one of mm. her sitting in full robes mm. against a kind of misty backdrop of, you know, mm. what it actually literally was a backdrop. It wasn't the real Abbey, but of Westminster Abbey. And I think those two kind of reflect uh, the two faces of the Queen, if you like. That's so fascinating and so true. And the text of the book is obviously brilliant, but the photos are absolutely Thank you. compelling and beautiful. And speaking of her coronation, perfect segue, I found the parts of the book about her coronation to be very compelling. Of mm. course, we have just learned that we'll have another coronation in May of next year for King Charles III, which is the first coronation in 70 years. And you write that mm -hmm. Queen Elizabeth II's coronation took 16 months of preparation mm -hmm. and hosted 8,000 guests. We already know that Charles's will be much smaller than that. I think 25% of that. And, and, but the Queens included heads of state from 73 different countries. Mm -hmm. So for those that haven't studied it or written about it, like you have, tell us a little bit about her coronation. Oh, well, it was the most extraordinary, you know, amount of pageantry. Because of course the coronation at its heart, and I think this was very important to Queen Elizabeth, is a, a religious ceremony. You know, the, it was the first time the cameras had been allowed in to witness a coronation, of course. But even then there was one moment they couldn't see the anointing of the sovereign mm. with, with holy oil. And I think, this, all the different ele you know, elements of it, the presentation of the new monarch to their people, you know, they sort of turn to each corner of, of, of the abbey, you know, symbolically, the people who are there accepting them. Things like the, the, the oath, the, but the anointing, which is perhaps, you know, the holiest moment of, of all, as it were. 
And I think Queen Elizabeth took that absolutely astonishingly seriously. Mm-hmm. Not to suggest that King Charles the the third won't as well, but we do know that things will be a little different then. Of course, there was one particular question over Queen Elizabeth's coronation, which we now look back on, um, which you know is 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 different for King Charles, and that was the role of Prince Philip in it. Prince Philip at that time, um, as we've, you know, heaven knows we all saw in earlier series of The Crown, and while I hold no brief for The Crown's accuracy, I think that's one thing that wasn't altogether wrong. He was having difficulty adjusting to that very strange, very anomalous position of, 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 you know, a reigning queen's consort. And a queen, we already know that que- that Camilla will be crowned alongside Charles, but of course Philip was not crowned alongside Victoria, uh, alongside Elizabeth. Um, Albert hadn't been, Albert married Victoria after she was already a queen. And apparently at the time, no one really thought that he might be because after all, if he'd been crowned king, Mm-hmm. then traditionally a king actually outranks a queen. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but that was one quite big thing in a way that he wasn't crowned. Instead, Philip was the first of the temporal, as opposed to the spiritual peers, to kneel and swear allegiance, to swear to be her liege man of life and limb. And of course, he kept that vow all the way to the end. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You write, over the preceding weeks, she, the queen, had been wearing the crown while sitting at her desk to get used to its great weight. Prince Charles would recall her going in to say goodnight to him with it balanced on her head. I love anecdotes like that. And I want to ask you, how do you think Charles is preparing for his coronation, mm-hmm. um, which we know Rachel said will take place in the spring? Yes, we do. Uh, eight months away, but still, as you said, that's a lot less time than than actually not only Elizabeth's, but you know, all the coronations of the twenty first cent- of the twentieth century. I think took 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 longer to prepare than that. Mm-hmm. I think. Well, a as you said, it is smaller in some ways. A quarter of the guests. And we wait to see whether quite so many foreign heads of state and so on. After all, they have all just been here for Queen Elizabeth's funeral. And I think in this new coronation, there'll be more of a kind of active attempt to involve different elements of British society. But I think the other thing we've seen uh, in the first weeks of King Charles's reign is that he's not been wasting his time all those years waiting in the wings. It became apparent very quickly with that speech that he made, you know, the day after his mother's death, that address to the nation, that he had been thinking, that he and those around him, thinking very carefully of what kind of uh, a monarchy he wanted his to be. 
So I guess that there has been, you know, a lot of thinking, a lot of the thinking about this new coronation will have been done already. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of Charles, he was actually there at his mother's coronation. He was four years old. Mm. There's a great photo in the book of him sitting between the queen mother and princess Margaret. And princess Anne was the only of the queen's other children that was alive, but she was only, I believe, not quite two or not yes. quite three and she so, was, she, yes, so she was not there so um in 1953 as I said only Charles and Anne were born Anne was deemed too young to attend but um you know just any more details you can provide about what you anticipate Charles's coronation being like we know that it's going to be slimmed down it's, as you said it's going to only have a quarter of the guests I've heard it's also going to be shorter and so any, you know, any other details that you've heard as a royal expert that our listeners might like to know? Yeah. Well, as you say, the Queen's coronation, three hours. And of course, the congregation had to be in the Abbey many hours before that. I mean, there were stories of, you know, peers uh, actually sort of hiding packets of sandwiches inside their their crowns their coronets and I believe the Archbishop of Canterbury had a flask of brandy tucked away in his robes <laughs> in case the Queen herself or any of her her, her maids uh, grew faint with the long proceedings one of them said that yes there was a moment when she actually thought she'd just been on her feet so long she thought she was going to go you know but mm. luckily didn't um I think the big question, really, the, the interesting part is going to be exactly that thing of how King Charles, uh, how he manages to involve the different elements and the different faiths of 21st century British society. Because on the one hand, this is a religious ceremony, you know, it's conducted by the Archbishop, it's one in which the new sovereign proclaims their allegiance to their determination to protect the Church of England, takes on the role of, you know, secular head of the Church of England. But on the other hand, Charles as a prince said that you know he'd like to be seen as defender of faiths rather than mm -hmm. you know necessarily the old phrase defender of the faith so although it's in an abbey and a ceremony conducted by an archbishop i think there will be a very determined effort to make it as inclusive as possible we don't know the details of exactly how that will work out the most compelling anecdote or piece of research you learned from writing this book? Oh goodness, uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, I think perhaps it is some of the stories of the Queen behind the scenes as it were. I mean we all obviously People who are around royals are very fond of, you know, telling how wonderful they are and, you know, how they have a great sense of humour. But apparently the Queen really did. She was um, a very good mimic, apparently, and not afraid in private circles of, of, of letting that rip. Um, 
you know, there really are stories of her her flashing back quite quickly with a retort, if if necessary. I mean, as as when she was in the states, wasn't it? And and you know, the president said that, oh, something like uh, this is you know the first time mentioned 17, a, de a date in the 18th century when he meant the 20th. And she cracked that, you know, she hadn't thought she was that old. Um, <laughs> so witty, so witty. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think it's probably stories like that. But I was, I was also, I was personally fascinated by, um, by the struggles, and I think that is the right word, of the of the first years of her reign, of the early 1950s, because of course she acceded to the throne 1952, age 25, earlier than anyone might have expected, because her father, you know, died so young. It might have been expected that you know she and her husband, Prince Philip, would have at least another de decade, few decades of comparatively private life. Mm -hmm. Instead, there they were thrust onto the world stage. It was particularly hard for Prince Philip, but it really is that kind of thing of her struggling with her hu the huge sense of duty we all know she had to come to terms uh, with life as effectively the world's number one career woman, juggling, you know, this world career with being a 1950s wife and mother. And of course, that was a decade when it wasn't really assumed that wives and mothers would necessarily work at all. That's actually really interesting. And of course, I've logically thought about that, but when you juxtapose that she's one of the most powerful women in the world in the 1950s, in a world mm -hmm. where women weren't really so as seen as powerful as they are today, necessarily, yes. that's fascinating. Mm. Um, so what you've written about a lot of queens in, mm. in your career, it's, in I particular, have. you write about queens, and I love that. What fascinates you most about her late majesty, Queen Elizabeth II in particular as her biographer, and why is she such an interesting subject to you? Hmm. Well, I think in a way it is, I mean, I've always been fascinated by women and power. So mm -hmm. I'm, for example, I've written about a lot, I'm fascinated by the first Queen Elizabeth and the second Elizabeth, you know, the Tudor Elizabeth. And Elizabeth II, when she came to the throne, everyone, you know, like Churchill was saying, new Elizabethan age. And she was quite keen to reject those comparisons. But there is a kind of tussle, if you like, in Elizabeth II between the fact that she came to the throne as a very young woman, surrounded by powerful, much older men, people like Winston Churchill, indeed. She was always very anxious, you know, not to kind of put her own views forward, to put duty first, her own feelings second. And yet, and yet, 70 years on the throne, meeting 
more, you know, more world leaders than any other one human being can have met. The travels, the vast changes her reign has seen. She wound up being not only an icon, but I think, a very, I mean, a very powerful figure despite the limitations of constitutional monarchy, and one who I think in the end did own her own power in her own quiet way. She never would step beyond those constitutional bounds, but I don't think you get to have that kind of world reach for seven decades and not be aware that you know you really have something a unique position on that world stage. Sarah, what do you hope readers get most of all from this book? Well, perhaps, um, oh, perhaps a slightly more playful sense sometimes of Queen Elizabeth, and perhaps a slightly more personal sense. I mean, she herself. Uh, as as we've we've been saying, she never let her own feelings come first. She, you know, sort of preferred. She it wasn't natural to her to display her emotions, but nonetheless, behind the scenes, and as you said, if you look at the, the some of the pictures, the photographs, you do get a sense of a woman who, behind that rather impassive mask had a twinkle in her eye and whose reign did see such enormous changes you know to whatever degree she she contributed to them if you look at the pictures from the beginning you know the black and white ones from this very quite secluded little world in which she and princess margaret grew up to the, the worldwide travels and the much kind of smilier queen of later years who, while she had to contemplate, you know, some huge, some appalling controversies and problems like the global pandemic, um, nonetheless wasn't afraid to let, let her smile show at last. So I hope the pictures in the book at least reflect that that change that growth over seven decades well as we've said a couple of times the photos are, are beautiful it and the words are as well and the book is great and it, and our last question for you the, today mm. I, I say this morning it's this it's this morning in the U.S. but you are in the U.K. it's very much the afternoon Don't but um, <laughs> it may be too soon to fully capture this as we're only about six-ish weeks out from mm. her passing. But generations from now, as her biographer, I wonder your opinion of what her late majesty's legacy will be. Mm. Well, that that is a, um, a, a good question because it, and that does tie in very much to the revisions made or the, the extension made to this book because five years ago, we would have said that her legacy was to have steered the monarchy into calm waters, you know, and set it flying off the 21st century. Little did we know. Little did we know, exactly, but, big but, the events of the last few years, the, the pandemic, 
actually made Elizabeth's Queen Elizabeth's own role all the more important. That, that, that amazing speech she made addressed to the nation in the early days of, of lockdown, really talking about reconciling past and future, you know, quote, ending with a quote from Dame Vera Lynn, the war will meet again, remembering her own wartime broadcast. And that really, if you like, she was speaking to the nation, perhaps to the world, and you know, obviously wanting to give what they needed, as she always did. But also, in a sense, that was a kind of that was almost laying out the monarchy's table as well. Mm. Because that, in a sense, is what the institution does do for us. So so far, as you say, we're not far at all into the we're in incredibly short time into the new reign. But so far, it looks as if acceptance for King Charles is much warmer and more ready than it looked at one time as if it might have been. And I, 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 I think it's too early in a way to say what Queen Elizabeth's legacy is, but we can guess what she'd have wanted it to be. That the institution she loved and served would survive well through the 21st century. Elizabeth Queen and Crown is out now. So this is a must add to your Royal Book Collection listeners. Please do check it out. And thank you so much, Sarah, for being here today. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Sarah. I loved learning from her and I've got to ask you as we close, I'm wondering what you're most looking forward to for the coronation, which is almost to the day, six months away. Yeah, you know, we've talked about this before, but I think it'll just be interesting to see. I mean, obviously, you know, most of us on, you know, living today didn't get to experience the Queen's coronation as it happened in real time. So this will be a first experience for a lot of us. And I'm really excited about that. I'm also excited to see how it will be different. You know, I, there's so much that that we don't know. And, and so I'll be really watching and, and seeing what types of traditional um, you know, ceremonial elements that they bring back um, from coronations past and what things they do that are new. Absolutely. Want to watch before that. We've got six months to do it. So want to watch the Queens and then just see how it juxtaposes with Charles's and what, what it's going, you know what, I've been noticing this about myself. I never once, I would never dream of calling her late majesty Elizabeth on this show, but I call Charles, Charles all the time. Mm-hmm. I need I've to, thought about that too. I need to, I need to change that because I'm so used to calling him Charles just as, I mean, not that Prince doesn't isn't worthy of our respect but he wasn't the monarch and I I mean I would never have dreamt of calling her Elizabeth like so casually and so I need to kind of get in that that mode for Charles for the king excuse me as well but yeah it will be um I thought that conversation with Sarah was incredibly interesting and there's just a lot to look forward to um the good the bad the ugly or as Mike Tyndall would say the good the bad the rugby I tied that all up with a little bow 
episode 74 in the books listeners don't forget to follow us on instagram at podcast royal i love the polls that we're doing i really like hearing from all of you email us at hello podcast royal at gmail.com and follow rate and review our podcast five stars goes a long way thank you thank you thank you and thank all of you for tuning into episode 74 of podcast royal we'll be back in two weeks we've got some really good interviews coming up um cannot wait for our next episode episode 75 interview y'all will love it have a great couple of weeks and we'll catch up with you on the other side of season five of the crown bye and i know we promised a quick episode this time but we didn't do it (laughs) bye